Hello, my name's Trevor Pfeiffer. I'm the editor of Garden Trade News. And in this podcast, we'll be sharing some stories and memories of Peter Seabrook. There is no better group of plants for flower power And forms of the shrubby potentilla Producing single rose like flowers Continually from June to the first frost Peter was, of course, one of the country's leading horticultural writers and broadcasters, a position he held throughout a career which goes back to 1965 when he began broadcasting. Peter began his career in horticulture as a child, selling flowers he had grown in his back garden. After school, he took a job on a seed trial ground before attending Rittle College, where he studied horticulture. Hello, uh, my name is Mike Alder. I used to be principal of Rittle College. It's now Rittle University College in Essex, and I've known Peter for many years. Peter was a successful student and obtained a national diploma in horticulture, and ever since then he kept a keen interest in the college and encouraged people to come into horticulture as a career. He attended a number of gatherings at the college uh, with old students and was an extremely popular member of the alumni. And uh, he did engage with people so well. So he was a natural mixer, and that was what I I particularly remember, how he just used to talk to people so naturally and made them at ease so quickly. He was a man that stood out in a crowd because of his Panama hats, his floral ties, his smart attire. He was so great with young people. I, I remember at the Chelsea show when he was helping judge the exhibits that primary school children were putting on. He just mixed so naturally with them and made them feel so comfortable. And I'm sure, as a result, enhanced their interest in gardening. And this has probably stayed with them for the rest of their lives. After Rittle, he joined the Army for National Service, which, as you'll hear, didn't dampen Peter's enthusiasm for all things horticultural. Here's a clip of Peter, recorded in September 2020. In 1956, uh, I set off with uh, many of my kind to do two years National Service. And after a fortnight of basic training, there was a chance to go for um, officer selection. I foolishly put my name down and found myself at Buller Barracks, where my feet didn't touch the ground for a fortnight. Uh, We were up until two or three in the morning cleaning kit, and at six the next morning somebody would come in and thrash it all. Uh, And it was a pretty tough two weeks, and most of us agreed that we didn't want anything to do with uh, officer training. And so when we went uh, up for interview at the end of the fortnight and three of the adjudicators asked why I wanted to be an officer, I said I didn't want to be an officer as far as I was concerned. They could stick it. And out I went. (laughs) And when I came out, I found I was the only one (laughs) who had spoken my mind and was sent back to the basic training that we did for 12 weeks. We're now in the army. If you have two weeks' advanced knowledge on the rest, it helps you to get on quite well, really. And so those two weeks for uh, officer selection weren't wasted. And and at the end of my basic training, I found myself mixed in with a whole lot of uh, post-grads from Cambridge. They were very intelligent people. And they managed to fix it for me to be posted to London. And I found myself in Horse Guards Parade at Whitehall. These ex-grads had a pretty good underground system at Whitehall and they found that they could put in for courses 
through the Army Education Department and if the forms were filled in with a whole lot of letters that the camp commandant had to sign, he would sign these and they would get cleared. Uh, and so my application for an evening class in floristry in the Borough College went through and was signed and I think I could be quite unique uh, in being the uh, only national serviceman who was trained in floristry by the Army. After national service, Peter became a director of Cramphorn, then Bordnamona technical representative, and then a consultant and director of garden centre companies William Strike and Roger Harvey. But it's through his work in the media that most will know Peter. He was presenter on Gardener's World, Pebble Mill at One, wrote books, wrote for a raft of magazines including Hawk Week and Amateur Gardening, and he held the position of gardening columnist at The Sun for over 40 years. His broadcasting took him all over the world. He recorded across Europe, America and Asia. Here's a clip of Peter from the Victory Garden, an American TV show broadcast in 1985. Back in October, at the peak of spring bloom in the Southern Hemisphere, we sent Peter Seabrook and Chef Marion to Australia. Here's their report. I think I got it sorted, Marion. This is... Bong Bong Street, mm -hmm. and we're in Barrel. No, no, no. My guidebook says it's spelled Barrel, but it's pronounced Barrel. And it is noted for history, horses, and horticulture. Oh, I don't see a lot of horticulture in this street. Well, it says there are elegant mountain hideaways where people grow English-style gardens, run guest houses and fat farms, and hold flower festivals. Oh, that sounds all right. In fact, in October, the tulip appears all over town but especially in Corbett Gardens in the center of Barrel, which is planted out with tulips of all colors. Oh, great. That sounds all right. Well, it, it does go on. It's a tasteless exhibition of horticultural overkill. <laughs> I'm all for overkill. Come on, let's have a look at that. Okay, them. let's see it. Well, I see what they mean, Peter. There's just about a little bit of everything here. <laughs> well, I think we've missed the tulips by about, I don't know, three days or five days. That All the petals yeah. are gone, and that's that. You yeah. got anything else in that book? Well, they do mention this Milton Park. It's nearby, and it's surrounded by a world-class garden. Well, how do we get there? Should we go that way? I think I found that garden. Oh, you could be in England in spring here. Except it was only a week ago, and it was October, and the fall, and all the leaves dark and brown. I think those 6,000 miles in an airplane seat and all those hours, I think it may just be worthwhile here. Peter used the platform he had to help bring new people to gardening in the industry. His projects with schools helped more than three million children discover and share his passion for growing. Hi, my name is Anne Watson. I'm head of horticulture at Pershaw High School. Peter was a great supporter of our unit and he gave opportunities to our horticultural students that they never would have experienced without his input. The most memorable memory of Peter was when one of my students, Christian, got through to the finals of the RHS Young School Gardener of the Year in 2019. Peter had met Christian previously and knew of some of his learning difficulties. When we went down to RHS Wisley for Christian's presentation, Peter made a surprise visit and put all the staff on the back foot as they really were not expecting him. They showed him to the table where we sat and he sat down graciously. But in the background, they were like headless chickens. It was so funny. 
And Peter just sat there as if there was nothing else going on and he only had attention for Christian. It turned a very special day into a very memorable moment for Christian. Christian's now studying at Pershaw Horticultural College, but he still talks about that special day, even now. For me, Peter was my inspiration, but he had a bad influence upon me because on most Fridays when I was at school, I would find a way to get home early so I could get home to watch him on Pebble Mullet Wad on his programme, Dig It. In later life, he became my guru If I wanted something, I would find something Peter had written and he helped me out on many occasions, especially when I was setting up the horticultural unit. To work with Peter on several different occasions was an absolute joy and I may have embarrassed myself by swooning over him, but I really don't care. He was a generous, warm person. He will be missed, but we have got some wonderful, wonderful memories of him. Peter was awarded an MBE in 2005 and held the top three RHS awards for services to horticulture, the only person in the UK to achieve this. He introduced plants and flowers to the world, including Margaret's memory, a pink verbena, which was a tribute to his late wife for whom he cared tirelessly when she became unwell with Alzheimer's. This podcast couldn't possibly take in all of Peter's many, many achievements or his long and varied career but I hope that these stories will show why so many people hold him in such high regard. This is Richard Harnett from Cannot Park Plants. A young man getting out of his smart four Cortina to visit me at Effort Experimental Station in 1965 was my first meeting with Peter. It wasn't long before he upgraded to an even smarter rover on his way to journalism in the many media. Our paths in the next 20 years met at open days and conferences when he was perhaps a speaker reminiscing on letters sent to him from amateur gardeners asking rather amusing questions about horticultural matters. It was in the mid-80s when I'd left ADAS and coined the word patio plants that Peter and I were in constant contact. He was fascinated by the introduction of forgotten and new plants to be used on the patio in the ever smaller gardens in the UK. At every trade show, he would call on us to look at the new ideas we had and wouldn't promote them until he had personally trialled them in his garden. He often asked Kernock to assist with plants for Chelsea, and it was to the delight of two young pupils from our local primary school that they were invited to Chelsea's show to see their efforts in prime position on the stand. In 2014, I nominated Peter for Horticultural Week's Lifetime Achievement Award, an accolade to add to his many others, but this one to recognise the help and encouragement he had given to the horticultural industry over many years. Even while thinking about his acceptance speech at the award ceremony dinner, seeing all the other sector winners go up for their awards, he was writing copious notes on their achievements to write up in one of his future articles. 
It was a pleasure for Kernock to produce and grow Verbena, Margaret's memory, following the death of his dear wife. A considerable sum of cash from royalties collected for that plant was donated to the Alzheimer's Society to assist in knowing more about this debilitating disease. How nice it would be to have another special plant to remember a really special person in the same way. This is Barbara Siegel. I'm a garden writer. And all through my garden writing career, Peter Seabrook has been a friend and an ally. I think I first met him in the early 90s when he, with others, founded the Garden Media Guild. Then it was called the Garden Writers Guild. There were about 50 people who Peter and this group of founding members got in touch with and invited us to a a day at Wisley. And that day sort of set the tone for what became briefing days for journalists within the Guild. Peter was concerned that we needed to have a two-way conversation with the professional growers and horticulturists So that's why he wanted to set it up. And one of the things I think was so important that he started right at the beginning was to whoever hosted one of these wonderful days that we had, it could be a nursery or a um, garden centre, Peter made sure that there was somebody who at the end of the meal or end of the day would get up and say thank you to the host for their hospitality, for the information that they'd imparted and just make sure that there was this two-way thing between us. And that has just continued. There's always someone who will stand up. They often aren't asked to, and they'll get up and say thank you. And that's just one of those things that Peter quietly imparted to people. He was great to talk to. And recently, Peter and I made a journey to Wisley in his car, his wonderful Jag. I always find the drive down to Wisley is sort of kind of a hard one to do. And I knew he would be going, so I asked if he would be kind enough to give me a lift. Well, wonderful journey down, Peter talking all the time, one finger on the steering wheel. We just had this wonderful journey down and he just enjoyed engaging with people all the time. I've got a group of friends who we call ourselves women who weed and we were wanting to go to RHS Hyde Hall, and I knew that Peter had become very closely involved with the um, Floral Fantasia display there, and I asked if we could meet him there. This was still during lockdown when we could go out with six people. He arranged for us to have six um, socially distant chairs, and then he joined us, and we all came away with sweet pea seeds, ideas about roses, all sorts of things. He was such a good passer-on of knowledge and expertise. He never held back on that. And I think that is probably going to be my lasting memory of him. I feel very fortunate to have had him in my garden writing career. My name is Gary Coward-Williams, and I'm the editor of Amateur Gardening magazine. I remember the first time that I met Peter... He came to our editorial offices uh, shortly after I took over the magazine. He'd actually come to see my predecessor's 
last day at the office. So they spent ages talking to each other and, and clearly were, were, were old colleagues. And then the, uh, the former editor waved me over to, to introduce me to, to Peter. And as he introduced me, Peter sort of gripped my hand quite, quite firmly and sort of looked me in the eye and, and said, uh, I hope we're going to get on. And I thought, oh, uh, OK. It kind of took me back a little bit at first because it was almost a little bit challenging. Of course, what I realised subsequently was that Peter cared so much about the magazine that he was, you know, probably a little bit concerned about who this chap was that was taking over. It was a big responsibility. And was I was I the right sort of chap? And, and I think he was kind of getting across that, you know, it's quite a serious business. At the time, I thought to myself, you look such a kindly chap, but you've got a bit of, there's a little bit of vinegar in there, isn't there? You know, a little bit of, a little bit of grit. But then we got to know each other and um, I just came to uh, have so much respect for him and his integrity and his knowledge. And he, he, he became something of a, a mentor and a, a sort of gardening father figure to me. As the you know, years went on and, and we got to know each other more, I used to really relish uh, the opportunities to see Peter at uh, events like Chelsea, uh, Hampton Court, and, and some of the trade events. And I remember the last one that I saw him at, probably the last time I saw him, which was a, a press day. And in the evening, there was, a, there was a sort of a, a, an evening meal. And uh, we were in this lovely library with a fabulous table laid out and what have you. And there were sort of seats along the side. Peter was sitting in one of the seats and the one next to him was empty. And I remember he sort of, sort of beckoned me over. I walked over there and, and then we sat and had this lovely conversation. Peter was so respected, an obvious authority in, in the genre. And so it was quite funny, really. I, I, I remember feeling really proud that I was the one that, uh, that he wanted to spend that time with. I mean, we had really, really long conversations, uh, a lot about what are the main issues of the time and still, you know, the, the issues over uh, the, the banning of Pete and, and what its replacements will be. You know, the, these, are, these are big issues. And Peter played such an important part in trying to get that right and for people to have the right information, people understand exactly what is going on. Peter was always my first pull to call if I wanted to understand what was really going on in any part of horticulture. I'd always get all the, not only all the information that I needed, but actually a kind of a, a wise understanding of it, something that helped was more, I guess, about the strategy of what I should be doing and why. When I reflect on that first meeting, um, I think it's amazing now to think that how well we did end up getting on and, and how much, I think, mutual respect there was there. And, and for me, you know, Peter was indispensable. Trevor Pfeiffer here again. When I started working on gardening magazines back in the late 80s, Peter was technically a rival, writing for Horticulture Week and Amateur Gardening, where I was running Garden News and Garden Trade News. However, Peter was always a friendly face at events and was so helpful to me in understanding just what mattered in the world of horticulture and gardening. In recent years, we worked together on promoting issues that Peter was passionate about, especially gardening for children, new plants, and latterly the much-talked-about peat debate. I think Peter viewed the industry as a whole, one big force going in the same direction, 
which reminds me of how we tried to include everyone. You might not know this, but if you're a freelancer, sometimes you get forgotten about when work events and Christmas parties are planned. So Peter tried to remedy that. When he started the Garden Media Guild, one of the main reasons was to make sure everyone got invited to a Christmas party. And I still have fond memories of those pre-Christmas events. And so it was that the garden media part of the industry had a Christmas party where all are welcome. And it's one of the most sought-after tickets in the industry. But as you'll no doubt be aware, parties can be expensive. But I think Peter had a talent for convincing people of the worth of things and ultimately getting them to pay for it and sponsor the awards and the dinner. Peter always found a way of getting funding for worthwhile projects. His Chelsea displays, National Rose competitions and most recently the Floral Fantasia at RHS Hyde Hall. Who could say no to such a wonderful man who only had the good of gardening and horticulture at heart? I'm Chris Baines, the wildlife gardener. And so although Peter and I were both horticulturalists and both campaigners, Philosophically, we were poles apart, but we were also great friends. We worked together for the first time in the mid-1970s, a very long time ago, when we were both a part of BBC Pebble Mill at One. And then in 1979, um, Peter was already the front man for uh, Gardener's World. He'd replaced Percy Thrower, and he decided that the programme should do a makeover of a couple of new gardens on a housing estate in Peterborough. And I was invited to design one of the two gardens. The neighboring garden was very orthodox, an oval lawn, flower beds, rose beds. Um, But I decided to create something I called a rich habitat garden. And on the second day of filming, and this is long, long before ground force was invented, um, the gardens were taking shape and Peter stepped through the fence and said, now, Chris, just tell me about the idea behind your garden. And I said, well, Peter, I want it to be a, a family garden, of course, but I also want it to be a garden that will attract lots and lots of wildlife. And he looked at me and there was a silence. And then he said, And you really think, Chris, that the gardening public are going to be interested in that? It was such a put down. Anyway, over the next 40 years, we became great friends. Um, I think partly because we both had a passion for involving children in, in gardening. He threw Junior Petunia, for instance, and me by encouraging kids to make nest boxes and dig ponds. Um, and so we, we, I suppose, grew up together um, and he was always such an inspiration always um, a really valuable person to test your arguments against and i suspect each of us strengthened our case in our own minds through the conversations that we had um, i'll miss our friendship but i'll particularly i think miss our horticultural banter I am Bunny Guinness, and I don't know when I first met Peter. I think he was one of those people that had always been there. I've been working in horticulture for 45 years, nothing like as long as Peter had, but I've always been aware that he was a mover and a shaker within the industry. I remember when it first dawned on me why he was so good. I was doing a small garden with him on Sunflower Street at Chelsea, and on that garden he bought everybody who was 
anybody to it. Press, celebs, royals. And so we had so much publicity for that tiny little garden. Far, far more than many of the bigger gardens that merited far more attention. I've worked with him on panels for Gardener's Question Time for Radio 4, and that was always fun. Peter did not dig, no dig. He loved to dig. We had a few lively chats about that. He stood up for what he believed in and could be controversial, but always served lots of passion and knowledge up with his arguments. More recently, I got into his podcast, and that was the only podcast I listened to every week on the day it came out, if I could. And I've listened back to those that aired before I discovered it. They were always informed, you nearly always picked up something you didn't know, and he nearly always featured knowledgeable, enlightened horticulturists who had a depth of knowledge he would delve into and bring out. Even if it was a part of horticulture I wasn't that interested in, he made it interesting. His questioning of the ongoing peat debate was tenacious, informed and hopefully will start to produce results more helpful to the industry and the planet. He was hugely concerned that the outcome would be dictated by social media, a bandwagon many jumped on and are jumping on without understanding this pretty complex and far-reaching subject. And I just hope that someone as passionate and deft as Peter will take it over and bring his work to fruition. Peter will be sorely missed. He had a fantastically long career and he has done so much for the world of horticulture. We will miss him hugely, as will the industry. Hello, Jill Corliss here from Cicata Ornamentals. I first met Peter almost 30 years ago when I was working as publicist for the Flourish Select organisation. New to the industry and having just moved to the Netherlands, I was completely awestruck to find myself talking to the Peter Seabrook, the man my mum used to love to watch so much on Pebble Mill at One. Of course, Peter, in his innately kind way, immediately put me at my ease and never considered any question to be a stupid question. Over the years, I saw Peter talk about plants and gardening, to everyone from plant breeders to managing directors, from members of royalty to small children, and all with the same passion, knowledge and commitment. And he put everyone totally at their ease and everyone who met him loved him. At plant shows, Peter would always say, take a picture of me with that, when he saw a plant that he really loved. And out would come his trusty instant camera. I've taken pictures of him with his arms around a huge sun patience at Four Oaks many times, wearing a Viking helmet in California trials, pictured standing in front of the fantastic plant pyramids at Gardener's World Live. Where there were plants, there was Peter. Nowadays, I'm involved in the flower trials, where our slogan is, where plants meet people. But today, I'm remembering when plants met Peter. This is Sally van der Horst from Fleur Select calling for in from the Netherlands. I met Peter, oh, probably 30 years ago when I first started working in this industry. Of course, I remember him from many years ago in the UK when I was a child watching him on the television. Now, Peter was a Brit. Huh? He was a pillar of British uh, horticulture. And I'm British too, but I don't live in, in the UK. And I met Peter outside of the UK. And what has always impressed with me is that Peter just wasn't just 
interested in, in horticulture in Britain in general, but of course he was all interested in horticulture internationally in the world. And he talked a number of times at some of our conferences, some of our conventions, and in fact, about 12 years ago, when we had a, a, a first started a conference of a home garden companies, companies selling into the home garden market, including many of the packet seed companies, Peter was one of our first speakers. In fact, he was actually the keynote speaker at our first event. And recently, having passed on um, uh, the information of his passing to our members, we had so many very nice memories coming back from Sweden, from Germany, from... Uh, all over Europe, from the US, of people that had met Peter during their time in the industry. And that shows that Peter just, well, he was a connector, not just for the UK, but actually for whole of the international horticultural world. And secondly, I'd like to talk about Peter's love of bedding plants. Peter, you know, was fond of colour. Eh? He wanted colour in the garden. He was always very keen on making sure that the gardener had plenty of colour to choose from in the garden and varieties to choose from. And that I'd like to, to mention in this podcast. Thanks, Peter, for, thanks for supporting our beautiful industry. My name is Rich Jarman. I am the producer on this podcast. It might surprise you that despite Peter's long and lauded career as a broadcaster after pretty much everything we did he would always ask me was that all right he would say you never lose that nervousness not if it's important to you if i asked him to do something again he would say i'll do it all again and would go right back to the beginning working with peter was really easy and very stress-free during the pandemic, we had to move to remote recording and we used uh, video conferencing like Zoom and so on uh, to do a lot of our interviews or recording of links. And I sent a script over to him once and I said, um, if you just take a look at that and, uh, you know, and then we'll record it. And I saw him take a look at the document and, uh, and I sat and waited while he read it and I kind of waited a bit longer and, and I picked up my phone and replied to a message and read an email and 10 minutes went past. And and I said, are you, are you about ready to read this script? And he said, yeah, I'm waiting for you to put your phone down. So, um, so yeah, he kind of was ready to sort of go along with the flow all the time. He had this relentless work ethic and always had 100 projects on the go, but treated each of them, you know, entirely seriously. I remember when the pandemic started and we were working out how to work remotely because the studio we were using wasn't accessible anymore. And so that first week he traveled from Essex to my house in Kent. And that's, you know, where we recorded the first of our sort of pandemic episodes. And, you know, there was just no question of him skipping an episode. We basically only ever took time off at Christmas. I feel so lucky that I got to work with him and get to know him. Andrew Tokley, Horticultural Director, King Seeds. I remember several years ago, I was planning a trip to travel around Holland to visit some flower trials. Peter got to hear about this and asked if we met at the airport, we could travel together. This was no problem, as Peter was always good company. We arrived at the first trial and Peter realised he'd forgotten his notebook. So rather than trouble anyone for a piece of paper, quick as a flash, Peter pulled out his checkbook. 
and he started writing notes on the back of the cheques. That was Peter. Nothing was ever a problem. He could always find a solution. I must admit, writing notes on cheques did make me chuckle throughout that very enjoyable trip. My name's Arthur Edwards. I'm the Royal Photographer at the Sun newspaper and I've worked there for over 40 years, same time as Peter. In fact, I remember him talking to the editor at the time about getting colour in the paper and the editor saying to him, well, what's wrong with black and white? He said, well, how many black and white flowers do you know? And, and that was Peter. He sort of, he loved his column in the sun, but he loved Chelsea as well. He asked me to come to the Chelsea Flower Show on, on the first Monday, which is press day. And, uh, and I did. And having covered the Royals for years, I knew that the Queen and the Royal family were going to be visiting the show later that day, about five or six o'clock. And I said to Peter, what time would the Royals be here? And he said, well, they never come to see us. In spite of Peter having gold medal winning gardens, we never seemed to get a royal visit. Anyway, the royals arrived and uh, I saw the Prince of Wales walking about two rows away. And I said, I thought, this is no good. So I went over and said, excuse me, Prince Charles. I said, would you like to come and see our stand? And he looked at me and smiled. He knew me because I covered many tours with him. And he came and looked. And of course, Peter being very knowledgeable and engrossing and the prince being a very keen gardener himself, they got into deep conversation and it made a lovely picture. The following year, everybody came. The Queen, the Queen Mother, Princess Margaret, it was, and, and the Prince of Wales. It was just amazing. And they all came. And, of course, Peter's such a, a charmer, you know, and he, was, and he was but very sort of, I don't know, engrossed with the Queen. And she was smiling and laughing. And, and he was just, he just so relaxed. And uh, it just worked out. And then for many years after that, we got a royal visit. And he says it was me calling out but I think it was how good Peter's gardens were I mean he always gold medal gardens he was he was so proud of that I remember medal day he'd say we got another gold we got another gold he was he was full of that so this year would have been his 50th display at Chelsea and he already was talking about it recently you know he's asked for a really big site because he's got great plans for a pyramid with all these beautiful flowers and uh, getting school children involved but every year it, after it was exhausting for him and he used to do the whole six days and then he would be exhausted at the end of it and he said, I'm never doing Chelsea again. He said, I'm never doing Chelsea again. And that would be in May and of course by July, August, he's already thinking, what am I going to do for Chelsea next year? But unfortunately this year, he never made it and, and, uh, and Chelsea will be, well, Chelsea will be a sadder place without him. I just have to say I'm so lucky to have known him and to work with him. I never heard him use one expletive, one swear word, never once. I, he was always charming, but always stood up for his rights. My wife adored him. She made him a cake every time he went there. And he taught me so much about not gardening because I'm not much of a gardener, but he taught me how to get things done. He was a great man for getting things done. If you want it badly enough, you'll get it, he used to say. And he got it, I promise you. He was just a great, great, great man. A great gardener, but more importantly, he was a great human being. There is no better group of plants for flower power And forms of the shrubby potentilla Producing single rose like flowers Continually from June to the first frost 
Our excellent other backward 